My name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, the story podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 125, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, 1 Kings 6, 2 Chronicles 9, and Psalm 66. 1 Kings 6. In the 418th year after the Israelites came out of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, the second month, he began to build the temple of the Lord. The temple that King Solomon built for the Lord was 60 cubits long, 20 wide, and 30 high. The portico at the front of the main hall of the temple extended the width of the temple, that is 20 cubits, and projected 10 cubits from the front of the temple. He made narrow windows high up in the temple walls. Against the walls of the main hall and inner sanctuary, he built a structure around the building in which there were side rooms. The lowest floor was five cubits wide, the middle floor six cubits, and the third floor seven. He made offset ledges around the outside of the temple so that nothing would be inserted into the temple walls. In building the temple, only blocks dressed at the quarry were used, and no hammer, chisel, or any other iron tool was heard at the temple site while it was being built. The entrance to the lowest floor was on the south side of the temple. A stairway led up to the middle level and from there to the third. So he built the temple and completed it roofing it with beams and cedar planks, and he built the side rooms all along the temple. The height of each was five cubits, and they were attached to the temple by beams of cedar. The word of the Lord came to Solomon. As for this temple you are building, if you follow my decrees, observe my laws, and keep all my commands and obey them, I will fulfill through you the promise I gave to David your father, and I will live among the Israelites and will not abandon my people Israel." So Solomon built the temple and completed it. He lined its interior walls with cedar boards, paneling them from the floor of the temple to the ceiling, and covered the floor of the temple with planks of juniper. He partitioned off 20 cubits at the rear of the temple with cedar boards from floor to ceiling to form within the temple an inner sanctuary, the most holy place. The main hall in front of this room was 40 cubits long. The inside of the temple was cedar carved with gourds and open floors. Everything was cedar. No stone was to be seen. He prepared the inner sanctuary within the temple to set the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord there. The inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 wide and 20 high. He overlaid the inside with pure gold and he also overlaid the altar of cedar. Solomon covered the inside of the temple with pure gold, and he extended gold chains across the front of the inner sanctuary, which was overlaid with gold. So he overlaid the whole interior with gold. He overlaid with gold the altar that belonged to the inner sanctuary. For the inner sanctuary, he made a pair of cherubim out of olive wood, each 10 cubits high. One wing of the first cherub was five cubits long, and the other wing five cubits, 10 cubits from wingtip to wingtip. The second cherub also measured 10 cubits, for the two cherubim were identical in size and shape. The height of each cherubim was 10 cubits. He placed the cherubim inside the innermost room of the temple with their wings spread out. The wing of one cherub touched one wall while the wing of the other touched the other wall, and their wings touched each other in the middle of the room. 
he overlaid the cherubim with gold. On the walls all around the temple and both the inner and outer rooms, he carved cherubim, palm tree and open flowers. He also covered the floor of both the inner and the outer rooms of the temple with gold. For the entrance to the inner sanctuary, he made doors out of olive wood that were one-fifth of the width of the sanctuary. And on the two olive wood doors, he carved cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers, and overlaid the cherubim and palm trees with hammered gold. In the same way, for the entrance to the main hall, he made door frames out of olive wood that were one-fourth of the width of the hall. He also made two doors out of juniper wood, each having two leaves from the turned-in sockets. He carved cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers on them and overlaid them with gold, hammered evenly over the carvings. He built the inner courtyard of three courses of dressed stone and one course of trimmed cedar beams. The foundation of the temple of the Lord was laid in the fourth year, in the month of Ziv, in the eleventh year, in the month of Bull, in the eighth month, the temple was finished in all its details according to its specifications. He had spent seven years building it. Second Chronicles 9 when the queen of Sheba heard of Solomon's fame, she came to Jerusalem to test him with hard questions, arriving with a very great caravan. With camels carrying spices, large quantities of gold and precious stones, she came to Solomon and talked with him about all she had on her mind. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for him to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba saw the wisdom of Solomon, as well as the palace he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, the cupbearers in their robes, and the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord, she was overwhelmed. She said to the king, The report I heard in my country about your achievements and your wisdom is true, but I did not believe what they said until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half the greatness of your wisdom was told me. You have far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your people must be! How happy your officials, who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom! Praise be to the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and placed you on his throne, a king to rule for the Lord your God, because of the love your God for Israel and his desire to uphold them forever. He has made you king over them, to maintain justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king a hundred and twenty talents of gold, large quantities of spices, and precious stones. There had never been such spices as those the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon." The servants of Haram and the servants of Solomon brought gold from Ophir. They also brought algam wood and precious stones. The king used the algam wood to make steps for the temple of the Lord and for the royal palace and to make harps and lyres for the musicians. Nothing like them had ever been seen in Judah. King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba all she desired and asked for. He gave her more than she had brought to him. Then she left and returned with her retinue to her own country. The weight of the gold that Solomon received yearly was 666 talents, not including the revenues brought in by merchants and traders. Also, all the kings of Arabia and the governors of the territories brought gold and silver to Solomon. King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. 600 shekels of hammered gold went into each shield. He also made 300 small shields of hammered gold with 300 shekels of gold in each shield. The king put them in the palace of the forest of Lebanon. Then the king made a great throne covered with ivory and overlaid with pure gold. The throne had six steps and a footstool of gold was attached to it. On both sides of the seat were armrests with a lion standing beside each of them. Twelve lions stood on the six steps, one at either end of each step. 
Nothing like it had ever been made for any other kingdom. All King Solomon's goblets were gold, and all the household articles in the palace of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Nothing was made of silver, because silver was considered of little value in Solomon's day. The king had a fleet of trading ships manned by Haram's servants. One every three years it returned, carrying gold, silver, and ivory, and apes and baboons. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. All the kings of the earth sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. Year after year, everyone who came brought a gift. Articles of silver and gold and robes, weapons and spices and horses and mules. Solomon had 4,000 stalls for horses and chariots and 12,000 horses, which he kept in the chariot cities and also with him in Jerusalem. He ruled over all the kings from the Euphrates River to the land of the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones and cedar as plentiful as sycamore fig trees in the foothills. Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt and from all other countries. As for the other events of Solomon's reign from beginning to end, are they not written in the records of Nathan the prophet, in the prophecy of Ahijah the Shilonite, and in the visions of Idu the seer concerning Jeroboam, son of Nebat? Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel 40 years. Then he rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David, his father, and Rehoboam, his son, succeeded him as king. Psalm 66, shout for joy to God, all the earth, sing the glory of his name, make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing the praises of your name. Come and see what God has done, his awesome deeds for mankind. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the waters on foot. Come, let us rejoice in him. He rules forever by his power. His eyes watch the nations. Let not the rebellious rise up against him. Praise our God, all peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let people ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. I will come to your temple with burnt offerings and fulfill my vow to you. Vows my lips promised and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. I will sacrifice fat animals to you and an offering of rams. I will offer bulls and goats. Come in here, all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. I cried out for him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and has heard my prayer. Praise be to God, who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. Okay, so I think we heard the word gold. That was probably the most frequent word used, right? And I know sometimes it feels like we're reading the same thing over or out of order, but we have to remember that 1 Kings is talking about Solomon's preparation for the temple, and 2 Chronicles is looking back on what has already been done. So there's certainly some overlap going on. And we're going to hit pause after today on 2 Chronicles and switch to Ecclesiastes as we finish talking about Solomon in 1 Kings. This is because 2 Chronicles 10 starts talking more about Rehoboam, who's the king after Solomon, and 1 Kings doesn't get there until chapter 12. 
It's interesting to read them together and learn that way, as Father Mike Schmitz and, and Jeff Cavins taught me. So we'll start the Rehoboam story together. We'll also be taking a short break, though, after the story of Solomon to read another gospel, the Gospel of Mark. I also learned this method of weaving the gospels into the Old Testament reading to see the connections between the Old Testament and the New Testament and to get a glimpse of where we're going and what it's all about. I found it to be a really cool way of doing it, and I hope you do too. Okay, so in this story today, gold, right? As we've been reading, Solomon, on one hand, is obeying God and building the temple, and he did it with stone and with wood, and of course, gold. It's strong, and both care and thought were poured into it clearly, just as God desired. And Father Mike Schmitz reminds me how they cut the stone Even do you remember how it talked about the temple didn't hear any of it? They cut the stone in the quarry as to keep the temple, I would imagine, clean and quieter, less chaotic. So the temple was was ordered and beautiful. Yet Father Mike Schmitz also points out how the author is describing Solomon making gold shields for show to put in his palace in the forest of Lebanon because gold shields would be both heavy and soft, so impractical for use in warfare. Yet, he had what they estimated to be about $53 million worth of gold shields just put on display in Solomon's house, so it's not even the temple. We started in the second part learning about all the things that Solomon had made in his house. So, it was like the first part, it was amazing. It was all of this stuff being put to the house of God, which was for God and for all the people and, you know, to bring their offerings and sacrifices. And now we're talking about, in the second part, all of Solomon's gold and stuff that he was getting to put on display. So, Father Mike Schmidt sees this as a point of interpersonal reflection. It's a checkpoint in the story. Where are we trying to look strong in our lives and, you know, maybe cover up weakness or use something that actually is too heavy and it's not the right thing to be using. It's not authentic in what we're trying to do. So sometimes overconfidence or displays of wealth and strength are actually a mask for this lack of, sometimes it's authentic humility or the sense of unworthiness and like we're not enough and we don't have enough of something. And we will mask it in these ways when really our worthiness, who we are, our purpose at its very foundation is already given to us by God. We don't have to go on a quest for it. We don't have to purchase it. God gave it to us and he gave us promises and he's telling us this story in his word that's for all of us so that we know that we already have a portion of his power and authority agency. He's calling us into ambassadorship. He's gifted us all in his own unique ways to be walking through this story, this journey right where he wants us in a kingdom with no end to represent him, to use whatever we are, whoever we are, and however we're in our spheres of influence to lift that up, to grow, to live, to be and become in his kingdom with no end. Have you ever read a story in the Bible or about a character that just really triggers a sense of vulnerability in you, like a sense of aha? I feel like God uses the story of Solomon um, in my life to do that. So on one hand, I feel God has called me and blessed me with ways to serve his kingdom in really cool ways. And at the same time, I have to be on high alert to all the red flags and things in my life that vie for my attention, which are capable of turning my attention and my heart. I have to be, we, we all have to be, right, diligent 
in remembering and staying in the rhythm of obedience because anchoring is the only way to avoid drift. Those of you that are on boats, you know, (laughs) anchoring is the only way to avoid drift. And I don't mean anchoring in our own like self-righteousness or, you know, habits or way of doing something, but it's this commitment to God's way with one knee bended at least, right? One knee bended in submission and prayer and the other knee in a posture of readiness, ready to act and react as the Holy Spirit calls us. And, And I mean the Holy Spirit tethered to the word of God, how those together lead us. This posture of bending one knee, I think I've mentioned it before, it's called genuflection. And this is different from kneeling, which is where both knees are on the ground. I don't know why, but I love it as an illustrated posture for my heart. It's the combined state of reverence and submission, deference to the king I'm representing and readiness as a representative leader here on earth with the portion of power and authority he gave to act and react and put him on display and to intercede in prayer and to be prodigally generous, to to be his hands and feet in the way he calls me to here and now. So the two things I think might be fun to look up as images would be the Temple of Solomon, since we read about it in great detail. A good experiment might be to use like one of those artificial intelligence (laughs) tools and, and tell them to show you a picture or paint a picture of the temple that Solomon built. And then read this passage very carefully and analyze the image and see how closely it is aligned uh, or not or not. But yeah, and then also Google or look up the image of the posture of genuflection and see if it resonates with you. If not, another challenge is to think for yourself about an illustration for your heart that will help you to avoid the slow drift we are reading that is occurring in Solomon's life. It's just like you want to reach into the story and be like, Solomon, no, you're doing so many great things. Don't, don't deviate from the mission and don't start to pull your heart away by also elevating, you know, wealth, women, horses, chariots, as we're talking about in your own life. And the author keeps weaving into every part of the story when he is also doing something so amazing and obedient for God. So think of an illustration that helps your heart to remember and to notice the red flags and lean into that posture for God. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.